Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Coven. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Elise. And this week, we're talking about... Witchcraft Down Under. No, we are not talking about sex witchcraft, although that might make an interesting future episode topic. We have our very first international guest this week, the fabulous Elise Steekstra. So just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my name's Elise. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a bisexual atheist witch at night and a corporate lawyer by day. I'm still a bisexual atheist witch during the day, but I'm less vocal about it in the workplace. And a very well-dressed one, if our like fashion Facebook group has any indication. Lots of pantsuits <laughs> right up there. So if you haven't figured it out yet, based on the intro and Elise's voice... I'm Australian! <laughs> yes, and we're going to be talking a little bit, or a lot of it, about the differences between witchcraft in the US, because that's where I live, and witchcraft in Australia. And the differences between Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere and all that sort of exciting things. So just to kind of kick things off, um, we're going to get into some more like Australia specifics in a little bit, but can you just kind of start off by telling us how you came to witchcraft and about your personal practices with it? Yeah, so um, I've, I've been into witchcraft or paganism or whatever for probably since I was about 13 you know that's the traditional age where you're like I'm a teen and I'm getting into things and this sounds like fun um I've always been a sort of a cartomancy type person um but I I actually only really got my first tarot deck last year so so you were like a true cartomancer using like playing cards yeah like playing cards and um the thing that I always like to do is sometimes you find a random playing card on the street and mm. you would take, I would take it home and go, oh, well, what does this mean? And then see if that sort of was indicative to something that might be happening in my life. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's uh, traditionally, but that's always the way that I was like, oh, what's this random playing card? It's the four of diamonds. And what does that, yeah. So um, that's sort of how I got into it, along with, you know, reading books about witches and female empowerment. You're like, this is cool to, you know, stick it to the patriarchy kind of thing so it's a, a very feminist based witchcraft but it's obviously not excluding male practitioners so is there like anything going on in the world or like culturally politically socially that kind of like piqued your interest into witchcraft or was it just kind of like you stumbled upon a book in the back of the library etc cetera, etc cetera? uh yeah i think it was really based on the book that i read which is called the juniper game and it's about these kids who like doing meditation and then they sort of astral project their bodies. And it's all about um, sort of a, a teenage girl who gets burned at the stake for being a witch because she's intuitive and, you know, that sort of thing. And um, it was actually really interesting. And having I have a lot of background in medieval history. And so like getting into that and you're like, oh, there's all these witches. And yeah, some. Yeah, so that's, I guess, the pathway through. And now I guess I'm a more of a soul practitioner because I don't really, I'm a bit of a introvert, so I don't love hanging out with other people. Um, and, yeah, it, I've moved much from cardomancy into gems and incense and spells and things like that. So All the expensive shit. Evolved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we will talk about that later. Oh, yes. It, is, it can get very expensive. So, I mean, one of the things that, like, I'm very curious about, because 
I don't think it's something you really think about is like how is witchcraft culturally perceived in Australia? Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm, it's obviously a growing practice of people as they come um, more, I guess, aware of different systems. But we have had a lot of pushback recently with the government trying to pass like religious freedom acts, which are really only religious freedom for uh, Christian religions. So up until um, I live in Victoria and up until 2005, witchcraft was technically illegal in Victoria because basically the government was saying, we don't think it's real. So if it was for a profit. So if you were telling fortunes for profit, then that was illegal because they basically said it's not real. So you're basically just conning people out of their money. So it was like a fraud thing. Yeah. Or yeah, a crime against. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. That appears to apparently be the case still in the U.S. where it is kind of like they'll get you for fraud if they don't think that you're... Yeah. Well, there was a... Um, in, back in the sort of 2000s, there was a Law Reform Commission report into it and they basically said if people want to believe it, because it's about based on your um, true and honest belief in what you're doing... Mm. Um, therefore you can't have fraud and basically the laws were written in such a way that even if you truly and honestly believed that your tarot cards were accurate you would still get done for fraud because they were saying there's no way you could possibly have a true and honest belief in uh, witchcraft or paganism or whatever and so that's now being changed where you can truly and honestly be a witch is this something that you had to learn about in law school it's not something i had to learn about in law school but there's actually the um, the state uh, Supreme Court of Victoria um, has done a series of podcasts about like random law stuff to try and get people interested. And once you once you start listening, and then they're like, and witchcraft, and you're like, oh, what about witchcraft? And then you can go and look up sort of the you know prosecutions and things. That's um, cool about it. Yeah, um, and just go, oh, actually, that's yeah, really relevant. I mean, I don't think they prosecuted people for witchcraft for a very long time but it was still technically illegal until relatively recently i mean i guess going forward a lot more people are identifying as pagan or wicca um and so i i guess it will grow as people are more comfortable with that depending on how restrictive the government gets towards religious freedom mm. well there was so they're, they're drafting all these laws to protect religious freedom of course which is something that needs to be protected but then they're like, oh, this Muslim Uber driver just refused to carry some people because they were carrying a ham with them, and that's not har- that's haram, obviously. Um, and he was like, I can't take you. And so all these people were like, how dare he freely express his religion? <sighs> people, come on. Actually, it's funny just because at time of recording, it was just Christmas. Yes. And that means that I was with a bunch of family. Oh, good. Whose political beliefs are different than mine. And I imagine their their spiritual beliefs are also probably slightly different from yours. Yeah. Oh, yes, very much so. But my, like, spiritual practices are pretty well kept from the family because uh. I don't want to deal with that BS. My, my political beliefs less so because I'm not really interested in listening to racist platitudes all day. Oh, um, fun. And horrible Islamophobic fear-mongering. But... Uh, apparently, because my sister's boyfriend's family was also going to be coming, and apparently they all had dinner a couple days beforehand. Apparently, at some point, my my dad, of all people, was like, hey, so by the way, 
We don't talk about politics when Alyssa's around. Oh, thanks, Dad. She... Thanks for your support. Because <laughs> she doesn't agree. But it wasn't... <sighs> it was trying to be supportive and protective. So no. Didn't have to have it was a... very much him trying to avoid conflict because he knows I won't be quiet if someone says some racist or transphobic or etc bullshit yeah. excellent but it yes. does sort of lead your discussion about christmas leads into one of the other things that i've found interesting as a practitioner yeah. which is that obviously it's summer here it is uh currently 27 degrees celsius which i don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. 90 something to the google you said 27 27 is 80.6 degrees Fahrenheit. 80. Excellent. Um, which is always great because people are like, oh, it's, it's 30 degrees. And I'm like, that sounds warm. And they're like, it's snowing. And I'm like, oh, okay, not warm. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, so we've just celebrated Christmas. Or if people are more pagan, Yule, when it's very, very hot outside. So a lot of your traditional rituals, like burning a Yule log, probably not going to do um you know snow and chestnuts roasting in an open fire also probably not going to do um but then even if you think about flipping the rituals and celebrating midsummer or litha in australia i mean a lot of those traditional rituals are jumping over bonfires and things Mm -hmm. like that you're like it is a day of total fire ban outside i don't know if you guys have that but it means no open flames outside no candles no fires um, only gas-fired barbecues, like, literally the entire country is burning. Please don't add to it. So yeah. you're like, hmm, bonfire, probably not going to happen. Even candles, yeah, probably not going to happen. Uh, so it's, it's one of those you have to adjust what you're planning on doing to not only the different seasons but also the actual conditions. Um, yeah. I, have a, I have a friend who is a burlesque dancer. And she mm-hmm. has one act where she sets her nipple tassels on fire. Um, and she's like, she's like, it's a day of total fire ban. What am I supposed to do? And we're all like, um, get some laser lights or something. I don't know. But yeah, you just have to be like, ah, the thing that I normally do, I cannot do. So how will I sort of work my way around that? Um, that is interesting. Yeah, well, it's just one of those things that you go, oh, yeah, traditional rituals particularly from a, if you've got a European-based practice, even even transferring them for the seasons, it, you still have to rethink what what is the actual point of this ritual or celebration? How, how do I get the same intentionality without necessarily yeah. the same tools or the same um, movements, which is... Um, I don't know that people think about it as much as I do. Maybe I'm straight. But a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, let's just do this. And then other people are like, oh, actually, yeah, that really doesn't work for midsummer in Australia. So Yeah. It is really interesting because when you see a lot of, like, people talking about how Christmas was completely co-opted from pagan rituals. Yeah. Um, most of those were surrounding Yule, and it's like, okay, well... In the Northern Hemisphere, it's very easy to kind of, like, combine the two practices. Um, Like, as someone like me who was, like, raised celebrating Christmas and my family celebrates Christmas, so I still do that. But then I also recognize the solstice and celebrate that. Like, I'm able to kind of, like, merge those two together because they are very similar. But it is interesting thinking about how 
Yule is literally six months away. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I know that, you know, you're singing Christmas songs about Yuletide carols and you're like, yeah, that's, that's quite a long way away. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think at some point you have to make a choice about, you know, it's okay to celebrate Yuletide when it's not really Yuletide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some of the other things that you have to think about is like ingredients in rituals or spells. Um, uh, cause I don't, do you remember when Johnny Depp came to Australia with Amber Heard and they tried to sneak their pet dogs into the country? Yes. Our, mini our minister of agriculture threatened to have them put down because it was clearly in violation of a biosecurity laws, which is, I mean, it sounds bananas, but it's something that is actually very important in Australia and also in New Zealand. New Zealand have even more strict biosecurity mm. laws than in Australia. So you know, I don't want to get into a debate about whether salamander eyes make a perfectly good substitute for newt eyes, but um, <laughs> you, you've got to think about, well, you know, if I'm doing some particular ritual that I found in a book, am I actually going to be able to get those ingredients in Australia? Uh, because oftentimes if you're trying to import something, it'll just get destroyed. At, I have uh, to imagine some customs. like herbs and stuff might be yeah. really difficult to find too. Well, particularly particularly if they've got um, seeds in them, because they're like mm. super... Um, but even just, you know, things that you think would be harmless. Like I wanted to get some grape grapevine wreaths. Hmm. Um, and I ordered some and yeah, they got destroyed at customs. Oh, that like stinks. Um, yeah, so you, you, you've got to think about, you know, can I, can I get that? What can I substitute for it? And also, yeah. Is that appropriate for the place that I'm practicing in? That's really interesting. It's similar to like, I know that there's a lot of debate in the US about like smoking um, rituals and things because of the sort of the native American aspect to uh, and cultural appropriation of, of smoke ceremonies and things. Yeah, um, so a lot of what it is. Uh, from my understanding, which isn't super deep because I don't really use smoke cleansing yeah. because I have asthma. <laughs> that's, but that's from my understanding, a lot of people kind of use the term smudging as a catch-all term for any kind of smoke cleansing, Yeah, even though smudging is a very specific... Native American, I forget which tribe, and I don't do research. <laughs> um, well, I do. I just didn't because a specific, Christmas. Yeah, a specific yeah. Um, tribal practice. Yeah, uh, which, like, yeah. involves certain ritual and, like, it's not just, you know, dancing Using around smoke. your apartment with some white sage. And then there's also, like, the environmental concerns of, like, using over-harvested herbs such as white sage and palo santo yeah um yeah <laughs> so i i had um i'm part of a few online covens in australia and one person was like oh you know i was i was smudging my um apartment with palo santo and i'm like oh hey where did you get it because you probably <laughs> imported it and had to pay a lot of money for it and be are you aware that it's um quite you know can be over harvested and did you procure it ethically and sustainably then I'm like I'll just shut up because I don't want to get involved in that kind of thing um yeah. but but in a similar fashion you know the um 
Aboriginal people of Australia also have smoke ceremonies and things that they do, um, particularly at like the start of ceremony, like um, at the start of Parliament and things, they'll do a, a smoke ceremony. Um, so you you just sort of like if I'm doing that, am I using white sage, which is um, you know can be over harvested? Am I yeah. using an Australian equivalent like you could eucalyptus leaves or whatever and then mm -hmm. if, if if that's um yeah is that going to offend somebody in australia hopefully not but <laughs> you know is that something that is kind of like in the consciousness of like which is in australia in terms of like relations with like aboriginal people and stuff like that because i yeah. know in some areas and some like schools of thought within like American witchcraft people are like cultural appropriation is bad don't do it be more conscientious about where you get your stuff and if you are going to be using things like be educated by native people on how they're used support native creators don't buy a freaking smudge stick from Sephora <laughs> yeah but don't make your own dream catcher buy one from an a an Native uh, seller. Yeah. Um, I think there is a bit of a bit of awareness from that. I think I think we could do much better. Not to say that I think we should be doing indigenous rituals at all because they're not um open to us. But at oh, least agreed, understanding, agreed. you know, where there might be similarities and how we can be respectful of that um history. Uh I find it really interesting because when I was in the United States last year, um, I went um, to a camp, which is a, a camp for queer women. Um, Run by we, Auto Straddle, which is a really great publication that you should check out on the internet. And absolutely subscribe to. Um, yes. But, you know, so that's in the, the California wilderness sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And if it had been held in Australia at the start of the camp, we we would have acknowledged the traditional owners of the land and paid respect to their forebearers uh, living, uh, what is it, past, past, current and emerging. Mm. Um, just as a way of saying we recognise that where we meet was traditionally owned by somebody else and, um, and that's quite common. You know, they'll do that at schools, they'll do that at meeting, board meetings, they'll do that at, you know, all different sort of, um, events and it was just really weird that I was there in California and I presume you know I was like oh I, is that a thing and it was just not at all mentioned or even acknowledged and I was like is that because the indigenous people of America are not into that or is that just because amongst all the other things we're thinking about that didn't get thought of so I just thought it was really um, yeah an interesting thing because I'm like well clearly this land was once not white people yeah I had an experience like that because I'm in New York City mm. and um so you know so in the states as far as I know that like territorial acknowledgements like that aren't a thing mm. I didn't know about them until I started with listening to uh the what the podcast which please which is a podcast by two Canadian scholars about Harry Potter yeah. And when they do their live episodes, they do territorial acknowledgements. Mm. And um, and then, like, even because one of the hosts did a guest lecture at a university class. And 
the professor of the class started out with a territorial acknowledgement before even introducing um, Hannah McGregor, who was the podcast host who was guest lecturing. Yeah. And then Hannah also did a thing at Tufts University, which is is in Pennsylvania, I believe. Mm. And I might be wrong about that. (laughs) Somewhere in northern uh, U.S. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. New England. Close enough. Yeah. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Sorry to anyone who goes to Tufts. Yeah, yeah, sorry to anyone who goes to Tufts. Sorry to anyone who's in Pennsylvania and doesn't like Tufts. But so she gave this talk and she also did it there. Um, And it's just something that she does as part of her like practice. And I was like, that's really interesting. It's not a thing in the US. And I think it should be because I feel like our relationship with indigenous people is still horribly, horribly fraught. Um, yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to profess that Australia is doing terribly well either, but I, yeah. it's uh, it at least makes you think about it on a fairly re- regular basis about you know the people from the lands that you know not going to hold Australia up as a shining beacon of indigenous yeah. engagement. Um, but yeah, I do feel like territorial acknowledgements are kind of a bare minimum kind of thing. Uh yes, I don't think yeah. anyone should be getting an award for doing the bare minimum. Yeah, but there's, like, people who still in the U.S., like, don't know what Native tribes originally are from the land that they live on. Like, there's maps Mm. and stuff, and on American Thanksgiving, like, a lot of folks will, like, share out, like, hey, as you're giving thanks, maybe also educate yourself on, like, who your land was stolen from. And, like, we'll put out maps of what tribes occupied what areas and lived in what parts of the country And I think that's really cool. The thing with New York City is, um, and I don't know if this is, like, a widespread knowledge, but growing up in New York State, you kind of learn, like, state history. And one of the things that you learn about is the, quote-unquote, purchase of Manhattan Island from the Lenape. string of beads or something. It was, like, a quarter. Like, it was a quarter (laughs) Um, that they bought Manhattan Island, which is massive. And I'm a middle school teacher. Yeah. And this, this October, we went on a trip to Inwood Park, which um, part of Inwood Park is where that quote-unquote purchase took place. And yeah, and in the trip logistics that were given out the morning of the trip, the principal wrote in parentheses, by the way, this is where the, um, where like Dutch settlers bought Manhattan from the Lenape, closed parentheses, continued on with the instructions and trip logistics. And I was like, I feel like this was a learning experience that we could have used as a teaching opportunity for the peoples, but no, it's fine. Yeah, no. And I mean, if we go back next year, I am going to kind of do a little bit of like heavy lifting on my own and be like, hey, why don't we use, because the way that like field trip days work is they're only like, we're there from like eight to nine. And there's nothing to do. And I was just like, I'm kind of like thinking like really interesting way to spend that hour would be to talk about this history and colonization and stuff like that would be really cool to like teach the kids and make them like start thinking about. And I'm going to try and put something together if we do go next year. Yeah. Um, had I known more than 20 minutes in advance, I probably would have done something. But again, I like I got into work that day and I was like reading the trip logistics and I was like, oh, 
This was a teachable moment that has been squandered. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think that's something that we can all try and do better going yeah. forward. It's just embracing that sort of history. Because you can't get around the fact that, yeah, you know, we came and we slaughtered lots of your people. Yeah. And, like, connecting it back to witchcraft, like, I don't know if this is true in Australia, but in the States, a lot of, like, witchy practices are kind of these, like, jumbled mishmashes of, you know, ancient customs and, like, native traditions and stuff like that and kind of researching what was stolen and co-opted from native people and trying to see if there's ways where you can either maybe remove those things from your practice or learn more about it and, like, be practicing things in, like, a more faithful way or, you know, if it's a closed practice, just stop fucking doing it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But, yeah, I, I think a lot of people in Australia mostly just steal stuff from the European witch traditions mm. um, rather than from any um, native indigenous um, speaking of getting stuff and it being expensive one of the ways I was trying to develop my practice was subscribing to this um, box of you know a monthly subscription box but it was specifically designed for um, people in the antipodes being Australia and New Zealand and and so it was things like you know aligning the you know, midsummer equinox uh, practices with actually what it is in in Australia. But also this um, person had developed sort of their own full moon rituals. And, you know, one moon it would be the the kangaroo moon and the next one would be uh, the emu moon or whatever. And I was just like, cool. it's cool. And But also like, you know, what is it about these particular animals that has made you select these particular times of year and, um, and then there was also a whole bunch of like really sort of Celtic stuff in it as well. And mm. I'm just like, I like, I love the idea of getting stuff every month and being able to, you know, develop my practice in a, in a sort of local sense. But also a lot of this stuff makes me feel really uncomfortable as a sort of non-theistic practitioner where they're like, now welcome some Bridget into your house. And you're like, well, I'm going to not do that bit because <laughs> I don't believe in St. Bridget, but sure. You guys go nuts. So yeah, I feel like we um we're very it's very much a, a borrowed witch practice. And I think because of that, um I think there are so many different versions of Australian witchcraft, like different lines and different teachings and stuff, that I for me I at one point I just had to go look, I'm just gonna go and do my own thing because trying to follow any particular tradition I was trying to really doing my head in, so just going to do yeah. what feels right to me and what um, learn and grow from there uh, rather than trying to follow a particular tradition or um, particular spiritual practice. It was like, yeah, interesting, but it's, yeah, it's not really how I practice. So that's, I guess, yeah. where I've, I've gone off on my own and just done what, what feels comfortable for me. And I'd like to suggest that if anyone's out there is reading things about a particular practice or something and are uncomfortable with aspects of it that you just you know don't do it you can choose how your own spiritual practice speaks to you yeah um build your own witchcraft yeah it's really great um especially because there is just so much stuff and especially for like secular and non-theistic witchcraft like a lot of stuff does kind of like connect to or relate to like religious practices in some way and if you don't necessarily believe in that it's not going to work in the same way that it will for someone who actually like it depends on i guess what 
what the point of the ritual is. Like if it's yeah. asking a higher power to give you these things, then I, I truly believe that there's no higher power than mm-hmm. the individual self. So you can still do that, but you're not asking, you know, Diana or, you know, St. Bridget or whomever is the horned god or whatever. You're going self we can do this we've got this it's a bit more sort of more self-directed rather than going oh mighty spirit up there please give me these things that I want it's like I can do these things that I want and that's really important is like having that instinct to be able to kind of like adapt things because I feel like especially for new witches you kind of you get all of these books you get all these resources and so many of them are like Wiccan in origin or like incorporate different religious traditions and if you don't want to do that it it can be kind of intimidating and it can be kind of stressful it'll feel like okay well this book isn't for me and then throw it over yeah or a lot of people yeah they feel intimidated by all the stuff that I have to do and I have to follow um and I think it's important to read books to get Mm -hmm. ideas and information but I think it's also really important to take that away and process it for yourself and go yes how does this make me feel um similar to the the book the um, i think it's called witch where it's very menstrual vaginary witchcraft um yes sort of thing which i'm really not very comfortable with because that excludes a lot of women who don't menstruate um and people who aren't women who practice witchcraft <laughs> Um, and yeah, so you, you like, sure, that, that particular author is writing from her own experience and her own mm-hmm. beliefs. But you can say, you know what, I think your beliefs are trans exclusionary and you can get them, mm-hmm. get in the bin. Like, yeah, you can, you can yeah. choose as much to take on as much of that as you want and leave the rest behind. I, I think that's the best way to really develop a practice that is meaningful for you rather than trying to follow something that somebody else has set down but I I don't know if that's because I'm a solo practitioner um and maybe if I were part of a like a a physical coven it might feel better to do you know we would all have the same practices and be able to embrace solstices or rituals together in a in a collective fashion I do I do think about that a lot of like would I be better off with like an actual like coven of people who I could like within like physical proximity where we could like yeah. meet um as opposed to you know being in like online covens and just kind of like connecting with people from all over and just talking about our practices but at the same time I feel like the great thing about like solitary witchcraft is that you can build a practice that feels a hundred percent authentic and genuine yeah. to yourself yeah. which is awesome it is, I, I would say that I recommend that for everyone, but you know, some people yeah. are more social than I. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, yeah. Um, something else that just popped into my mind. Do you know about the whole like clockwise, counterclockwise thing? Uh, as in if you're going to go to fairyland, you need to go around the church, Widdishans three times when the sun is, um, or uh, are you talking about the Coriolis effect? The first one. Like, like Diocel and Wittershins in Witchcraft and how I yeah. was reading that they're also flipped in the Southern Hemisphere. I don't remember why. Well, I imagine for the same reasons that the seasons are flipped. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, to be honest, if you think about that, you know, then you're going, well, should all of the uh, zodiac signs, all of our star signs be flipped? Because yeah. obviously we see a very different night sky from what uh, Northern Hemisphere witches see. So is astrology still based on the like? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a Libra because my birthday is in September. Um, and all of the, you know, when you go and try and do all your um, rising and all of that, it's still based on, I guess, whatever is in Europe or probably America where a lot of these websites come from. No one goes, oh, where were you born? You were born in Australia, so let's flip the whole script. Hmm. Um, they just go, yeah. And to some extent I agree with that because the stars are still where the stars are. Mm-hmm. And, but, it, you know, is, is your horoscope based on where the stars are when you are born in your particular location like what you can actually physically see or is it just more of a metaphysical the stars are out there kind of I don't know enough about astrology to like really even be able to think about that neither but you just sort of like go you know if we're flipping your seasonal things which obviously Mm -hmm. makes sense then do you need to be flipping your things that are less seasonal but also um applicable but it you know it's just one of those thought experiments where you're like hmm would I be different if I were not a Libra, but I were an Aries or something? Um, so yeah, so it's just one of those fun things that you get to think about when you're at the bottom end of the world. That is really weird because I didn't even think about that. I'm just kind of like, the sky is different. And are those constellations even like... Um, so a lot of them, you you won't be able to say so like Polaris, the North Star. We can't, we're, that's never visible yeah the sky um things like the southern cross i imagine is not visible um in northern skies the thing that i found very disorienting when i went to europe um because i'm i'm very good at direction and i know like my north my south my east from like where the sun is but the sun in europe and in america is in the southern sky not in the northern sky so i was very disoriented because i'm like Okay, the sun's over there, that means, no, wait, I'm, you know. Uh, and so it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, actually, my whole world is upside down. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with these, like, jokes and memes, but when I told my fiancé, who is a giant dork, about this, like, episode and that we were recording, he was like, are you going to talk about how people in Australia have to wear magnetic boots so that they don't fall off the earth? Definitely, but actually I was going to take it one step back and I'm mm. not actually Australian, I'm actually an actor being paid to play an Australian because of course the earth is flat and um, all, all of the people in Australia, is, it's a big hoax in the world. Isn't that, isn't that how it works? Amazing. And it was just a, a way to get rid of, you know, the convicts were never transported, they were just disposed of and, and now anyone you meet who's Australian is just an actor. And anyone who believes they've been to Australia or was just flown to somewhere where we were all pretending to be Australian. Uh, though the other thing is I, I I do often ride a kangaroo to work. That's my favourite form of transportation. Uh, um, look, some people live, if you're in the sort of outskirts of the suburbs of um, Melbourne or Sydney, you might have kangaroos hop through your yard, but I wouldn't ride them because they are vicious and will probably gut you with their toes. Yeah, just putting it out there. A lot of Australian animals are severely dangerous. Yeah, and I mean, I do think about also, one of the things I was thinking about and wondering was like, 
do you, because especially because of like the bio the biosecurity laws yeah um trying to prevent invasive species and such but not is there kind of like a stronger emphasis on like plants and herbs that are like indigenous to australia and stuff like that and like are there some kind of like go-to like correspondences that you're just kind of like well i use this for this and that for that that are more like australia based um look they really should be and i think that would be an excellent project for a practitioner to go hear what i think are the properties of these australian things but i think a lot of people just go you know i'll just use lavender or i will import some you know mugwort or something um Mm. i mean hopefully a lot of these things you're buying from your local witch craft store and that sort of thing but I think I, th- I think a lot of people almost are like la 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 I'm not in Australia I can do this it's fine <laughs> um which is why I always feel like yeah sometimes I've thought about these sort of things a lot more but uh yeah one of the groups that I'm in there is definitely one practitioner who's there and is like here is this native plant it is you know it's similar to peppermint or whatever mm, I mean a lot cool. of the things you know, we have like native mints and, you know, peppercorn trees and things, which obviously you can use. And I think, again, it's probably even even in Europe, I imagine there's no like one standard, this is what you use for luck spells sort of thing. I mean, yeah, there's really not in the States either. Yeah. Um, I think you can sort of go, I think this is lucky and, mm-hmm. that, you know, let it be so. Yeah, there is a lot of like... Especially in the kind of, like, New Agey, and I don't mean that in, like, the traditional way that people think New Agey. I'm, like, thinking, like, literal, like, millennial witches um, on Tumblr who were, like, witchcraft is anything you make it. And if you, like, think that lavender, like, if you don't find lavender all that calming and you associate it more with, like... Grannies and headaches? Yeah. Then use it as a curse ingredient (laughs) or, like, whatever. Yeah, and I, I think that's ultimately the the best way. If you if you smell something in your spice shop or in your your um, and you go, oh wow, that's such a sense memory for something, then you can use it for that particular purpose, or yeah. you should use it for that something that's tailored to your own experience is going to be much more powerful than something you've just read about. So the moral of the story is... Do your own thing. Do your own thing. (laughs) Be an individual. Yeah. Yeah, um, There are actually some really great books for helping you do your own thing. Like, I really love the um, Modern Witch... What is it? The Modern Guide to Witchcraft by Sky Alexander. I don't think I've read that one, no. It's really good. It's definitely like an introductory book. Yeah. What I would say is go to your local library and see if they have a copy and borrow it. Or if you're someone like me who likes to support libraries but also likes to own things. <laughs> Read it at the library and then if it's really good, buy it. And like the great thing is like a lot of like local bookstores or witchcraft stores. If they don't have it, they will get it in for you. Yeah, they'll like special order it and it might cost a little bit more, but... It will be bought with love. Yes. And you will be supporting an independent business. Excellent. Down yes. capitalism. Boo. <laughs> We're going to have a whole episode about that in the future. And I'm like, once Andrew's back and I'm like, here are all my thoughts. Yeah. I, I mean, there is a, definitely a big 
industry in selling witchy things to people who think that in order to make a spell they need to have this crystal and that incense and uh, sort of almost a panic about oh I need the right ingredients or else it won't work which mm-hmm. I think is contrary to the very intentionality of witchcraft where it's like this is you know I don't have the right ingredients but it's going to work for me because I have that self-belief in the things that I'm doing yeah anyway they're my thoughts capitalism <laughs> that people people the you know people make a lot of money off that anxiety of people needing to do have the right things yeah. irrespective of whether it's witchcraft if it's you know someone starting out playing cricket or hockey oh I need the best hockey stick or the best cricket bat or the best whatever um so I am just kind of curious I'm just gonna kind of ask about some of the things that were like hugely culturally relevant in terms of like witchcraft sure. in the states because I don't know a lot about Europe and I'm just kind of wondering if some of them like were a thing are a thing are as influential and in, like inviting people into witchcraft or if there's like other stuff that's more like Australian based or even like UK based that are more popular because like the craft is like a huge part the movie As in the, the, craft. the movie yeah yeah it was like a huge part of like in the 90s like i was too i was very small actually what year did that movie come out i 94 it was 96 i was a year old <laughs> so obviously it wasn't so much a thing for me until like i got into witchcraft and i was like i should watch the craft um but i know for a lot of people in the 90s who were like teenagers and like young adults it was kind of like one of the things that drew them to witchcraft and to wicca originally so i was wondering is that like a thing or was that a thing um it certainly was a thing for people who were teenagers at the time Mm. um (laughs) you know where you're like oh that's cool um and something about you know you'd go to sleepovers and people would be like hey let's try and do light as the feather step as board thing Mm -hmm. which i think is was quite american as well I don't know. From what I read in, you know, babysitters pub books or something, it feels like that's <laughs> something they would have done at a sleepover. Um, but I don't know how many, how much of that actually led people to actually embrace a mm. a pagan craft. I think they're like it was cool for and you know wearing black lipstick and stuff to school and but yeah, they, that sort of thing. Um, I think does inform some of people's. Uh, ideas and perspectives about witchcraft but I don't necessarily know that it leads people to a fulfilling one but they're like oh let's this looks like fun and then they're like oh there's actually a lot more to it than just the fun parts and then yeah yeah. (laughs) what do you mean I have to get initiated (laughs) yeah what do you mean I can't just light a bunch of candles and yeah (laughs) there probably were a bunch of teenage girls at sleepovers who were like let's light a bunch of candles and call corners not knowing yeah. what that means at all. Um. Well, no. So actually, I went to a a religious but not very religious high school. It was a, it's Methodist, but that's like Anglican. Um, mm-hmm. And in year eight, in the chapel service, the what age is that so that I can translate so that into that's thirteen fourteen. Okay, yeah. So that would be like late middle school, early high school. Yeah. So as part of this family chapel service so it wasn't just for the students but it was for all of their you know families 
he did this whole big thing about the X and the unknown and how all the kids are on drugs and, you know, because of the X. And then he had a bunch of students. So this was an all um, girl school. So a bunch of girls and they literally called corners and, and pretended to sacrifice someone on the altar in the chapel. And we're all sitting around going, this is A, wildly inappropriate and B, really, really very weird. Um, unsurprisingly, that reverend was not invited back or was no longer at the school when we returned. This was the end of the end of year Christmas, you know, family chapel service. Um, yeah. And they're like, that's in the really chapel, weird in the chapel going, you know, I call on the spirits of the watchtowers of the north and. And we're all just sitting there going, um, and unsurprisingly, it was the last chapel service that my parents came to or made me go to. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, that reverend was not um, no longer at the school the next year. And I was just like, <laughs> you, you can't just lift a whole butt out of the craft and do it in the chapel. That's wildly, wildly inappropriate. But anyway, it was all about yeah. the X and the unknown and how uh, kids are all on drugs. And I was like, what? So anyway. Maybe the craft did inform some people about a meaningful practice. Maybe. Interesting. And then, I mean, uh, a lot of these are, like, kind of, like, skewing younger just because of, like, my own existence. But, like, Harry Potter was a big one. And I have to assume that it was in Australia for people as well. Maybe not so much in inviting them to, like, start exploring witchcraft, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always, like, the religious groups were like, oh, this book has witches in it, so therefore mm-hmm. it's inappropriate for children to read. Um, I think we have not quite as much religious fundamentalism in Australia as you see Christian fundamentalism as there seems to be in the States. But um, yeah, increasingly, I guess people are concerned about Harry Potter being a great way to drugs and witchcraft because of course those two things go together. Any final thoughts, things you want to share, things that we didn't get a chance to talk about, questions, comments, concerns, complaints, criticisms, compliments etc I think we're, I think we're doing a wonderful job now um, <laughs> um basically I would just like to tell anyone out there who's listening that do your own thing embrace your own path um yes and come and visit Australia and enjoy some beaches and don't ride a kangaroo all right so that's about it for this episode Thank you so much for listening. You can find Two's a Coven on Twitter at Two's a Coven Pod. You can email us at Two's a Coven Pod at gmail.com. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And please share this podcast with other humans and animals and plants and trees and get the word out there. I'm Alyssa, and you can find me on Twitter at Liss Writes Stuff and on Instagram at Sea Witch in the City. That's S E A Witch in the City. And I'm Elise, and you can find me on Twitter at weenie underscore tot, W-E-E-N-I-E underscore T-O-T. Our cover art is by Karen Amador, who you can find on Instagram at Elador. And our theme music is by Peter Lelush, who you can find is A-K-L-F on Bandcamp. Choose a Coven is also edited by Edward Ryan, who is on Twitter at fake Eddie Ryan. And until next time, say hi to your favorite tree and say hi to your favorite beach. Bye. Bye.